Kurt Alper, the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a prospect writer for Fangraphs and also Rotographs and also Bullpen Banter, I think, and also Athletics Nation. His name is Nathaniel Stoltz. Last week, uh, prospect analyst Mark Hewlett of Fangraphs began publishing his organizational prospect lists for the site, beginning first with the Chicago White Sox, then moving on to the Miami Marlins. He also uh, this week did the Seattle Mariners. In addition to Hewlett's work, uh, some of Fangraphs' prospect analysts, some of Fangraphs' other prospect analysts, uh, are doing companion pieces to those top ten lists, in which uh, they, typically speaking, will use one prospect from the relevant system as a sort of entree, as an entry point into a larger conversation about prospect analysis. Nathaniel Stoltz, uh, we could say this is right up his alley, and in fact he wrote the uh, the first two of these companion pieces, one of them about White Sox prospect right-hander Tony Buccifero, who, uh, you may or may not know this, actually led all of the minor leagues last year in FIP. He had like a 1-87 FIP or something, something silly. And yet, uh, this is a this is a pitcher with very little in the way of pedigree, does not receive uh, much attention, generally speaking. Stoltz asked the question, what does this sort of pitcher do um, later on? You know, I mean, he was at the low A in rookie ball, was Buccifero, as a 23-year-old. He looked, uh, he looked at pitchers who had done that before at around that age and what they became in the future. For the Marlins, uh, Stoltz looked at Austin Bryce, a pitcher uh, who has a lot more in the way of stuff than Buccifero and has a relatively clean delivery, except for the fact that um, curiously, he's unable to find his release point. And therefore, his walk rates are crazy. Stoltz actually did some work with Major League Pitch FX information uh, to look at the way that um, roaming release points, as it were, uh, the, the, the relationship that, the, that those might or might not have to uh, walk rate or zone rate or any of this sort of thing. Basically, uh, basically, what's to follow is a conversation uh, in which uh, I asked Stoltz questions and we, he asked questions and we try to answer them. You know, it's just responsible measured pleasant responsible measured pleasant that's the motto of this edition of fangraphs audio it is fangraphs audio it features prospect writer nathaniel stoltz and it begins right now How you doing? How's Winston Salem? Oh, it's pretty good. I'm in the middle of a uh, particularly hectic time in grad school. Uh, oh, I, but, oh, I, well, I don't, you know, I don't mean to, bur- I don't want to oh, burden no. you. Oh no, no. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm. It's less hectic this week than it was last week with all of the, uh, all the companion pieces and and everything, and I, I've gotten a lot done. So it's, it's, it's on the upswing of free time. Now is your well, are, are, wait are you an exam? Well, you're a grad student though. You probably don't have exams proper, right? Just uh, papers due or something. Um, papers, but right now I'm you know I'm I'm doing thesis stuff. You know, like like we talked about the last time I was on the show. So I'm you know in the middle of like putting together my literature review and stuff. Oh yeah, but doesn't it uh, doesn't it involve baseball at some level? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you repeat? Uh, can you remind me? It's a, it's the um, of how every time I'm on the show we we talk about this for some reason, but uh, it's like about the the persuasive strategies and uh, diffusion of of innovations in in the sabermetric uh, movement. Yeah, you're part you're part of the sabermetric movement, Nathaniel Stoltz. 
Apparently so. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah. Now, is your uh, is your writing style in your academic writing is it similar to that of your baseball writing? Um. Well, you know, I mean, there's there's certain things that you kind of can't. I mean, like when you're writing like a literature review, it's like you're writing a literature review, and so you're you're always citing sources and stuff. So that's you know, and and method sections and stuff. When it, when you get to like the discussion section, like once once I'm once I like have results of something and and I'm just discussing it sort of in my own analytical space, then then it comes closer to where you might see my baseball writing. Right. Um. You have yeah. a um an aptitude for an instinct for uh, thoroughness in your <laughs> baseball writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because if we were to do a style review of your work, um, if we were to find a comparable for you within the Fangraphs pantheon, the Fangraphs stable of writers, yeah, your closest comp, I think, at least so far as your – your uh, instinct for thoroughness is concerned would be Matt Clausen. Yeah. Um, which is notable insofar as Matt Clausen uh, himself is also an academic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, there you are. There it is. QED, as it as it were. Yeah, you know, it, it took me a while to kind of develop that. But, uh, you know, once once I kind of got, you know, what I always say, pe- people always ask me, well, like, you know, how do you write all this crazy long stuff? And it's, you know, what it is is it's just an instinct for sort of, you know, having detailed thoughts and, and having a good way of kind of organizing them in your head. And then once once you do it once or twice, you start to get in that rhythm where every topic starts to have that sort of expansive scope in your mind. And then it just it just translates. It goes, yeah, it's essentially like a transcription of your thought process from beginning yeah. to end. Yeah, perhaps in a lot of ways. Lo- yeah, l- more logically rendered. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about Tony Buchafero? Yeah, let's do that. What do you want to say? What do you want to say about Tony Buchafero? Other than that's an Italian guy. <laughs> that 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 is a very very Italian name. Yeah. What do I want to say? I want to control F this though. Yeah, I just control I control F your Tony Buchafero piece in the word uh, the word Italy. The word Italy uh, does not appear, nor does the word Italian. And so, a <laughs> uh, little bit disappointing. I see. Um, yeah. But uh, it, <laughs> here's what we know about Tony Buchafero. L- let me tell you what I know about him a little bit. Oh, okay. by the way, I believe that this uh, this edition of the podcast will be called Nathaniel Stoltz Digested. Is that is that fair? That's fair. Yeah, right. We're providing an entree to your uh, to your pieces about uh, Tony Buchafero and then Austin Bryce. But uh, still, um, Hewlett did his top ten list or top fifteen list, however you want to call it, yeah. uh, for the White Sox. And you said, and uh, um, you're doing this. Uh, uh, Al Scarupa will be working on this. J.D. Sussman will be working on this, uh, doing companion pieces to our um, to to Hewlett's prospect list. And uh, you chose uh, Tony Buchafero. And I guess first of all, why? What was your uh, what was your sort of impetus there? Well, you know, there's there's a couple of things. First of all, just the practical side of things is that you know, I, also with my writing at Rotographs, um, you know, I I cover a lot of the the most fantasy relevant and sort of the top guys over there, and so um, it, I see a lot of the White Sox system. So I either you know have covered or or am planning on covering later this offseason a lot of the guys that that are sort of at the at, you know, 
more on that list and, and closer to the top of the system. And uh, Buchafero was actually the last guy I cut from my list of, of players to cover this offseason at Rotographs. And so uh, that it was kind of a, a natural thing uh, there. Um, but, you know, in a, in a more sort of uh, detailed sense, you know, he, he really kind of, is is an interesting study in extremes, and I'm all, I'm always interested in studies in extremes. You know these things where a player has like some really good aspect, and then some like really uh, I, I don't want to say bad because it's not really really the right word, but you know a much less impressive aspect to him. And in the case of of Buchaferro, you you really have the dichotomy of he had the best FIP among all minor league pitchers who threw 80 innings, and yet you know he wasn't on on Hewlett's. Uh, White Sox top 15. He probably won't be on anybody else's White Sox top 15. Uh, he's somebody who y- you really never hear much about from scouts. Um, and, and it should be noted that, that that White Sox top 15, I mean, all, you know, organizational prospect lists are not created equally. Uh, there are going to be some clubs. I mean, the point being not to make the top 10 or 15 for the White Sox really means something. Right, yeah. because this is not like the the cardinal system from you know a couple of years ago or uh, you know whatever other teams now are sort of catching up to the to, to the cardinals. I mean, this is a this has been a dry system for for a couple few few years now. Yeah, one thing I'll say you know about that is that is somebody who sees sees a lot of White Sox uh, minor league ball living in, in Winston Salem where their high A team is and living uh, an hour away from Kannapolis where their low A team is. Uh, you know, th- there's more depth in that system than a lot of people give it credit for. Um, but really, the the issue with that system is is that there's nobody who's really stepped up as, uh, you know, a clearly, it, with the exception of, of of Eric Johnson, I guess. You know, there's nobody who's clearly like primed to be an above average player uh, in the majors. There's a lot of people that you can see maybe evolving into something or uh, or whatever. But there, there aren't a whole lot of real sure things. There aren't a whole lot of of, of people that that really function well as like you know, grade B plus or A minus prospects. There's a lot of C pluses and B minuses and and whatnot. But uh, but but it's that top end of the system that, that's lacking. Right. Yeah. Imp- uh, we would call them impact talent, Stoltz. Yeah, I I think you could say that. I mean, everybody everybody generally either has a low floor or a low ceiling. You know, yeah. there's 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 very few few guys that have sort of that high floor, high ceiling, except for, you know, Eric Johnson, if if you want to say that, given that he's already been in the majors, and Daniel Webb, who's like my my favorite pitcher, but that's another story. Um. Oh yeah, actually coming because you know I I ran the the steamer projections, uh, for the White Sox, and I think Daniel Webb was actually well well acquitted by those. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, I think that uh, he's a, re- a relief prospect. Is that is that the the possible? That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and he made it. He made it up to the White Sox in September. Right, and he and he uh, threw some good innings for them as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. So not a total, uh, not a total failure, but uh, still there is. Uh, I mean, you, t- you want to talk about ceilings? There's sort of a. I mean, by definition, there's there's kind of a ceiling on relief prospects just because they're not. You know, they're throwing fewer innings. Yeah, I I, I think Webb can close. Uh, personally, but, uh, you know, I, I think he can be, you know, one of the game's better relief pitchers, but, uh, you know, when, when that's sort of what you're, you know, as, as much as I love the guy and I love the stuff he has, and I love the fact that I ranked him number 10 in the organization before the season when he had a six ERA in low A last year, which is like my prospect claim to fame, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, but, 
but but when that's one of the guys who who you're seeing is is one of the most clear impact talents that that does say something. Um, yeah. So so all right. So with regard to um, with regard to Buchafero, what we have here is a pitcher, as you noted, uh, who I guess we could say roughly among uh, starting prospects in the minor leagues uh, had the lowest the lowest FIP. Yeah. Um, and that's something. That's it's better than having the highest FIP, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, hey, it is. I wonder who did have the highest FIP. I don't know. Well, we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Usually, those guys um, aren't throwing eighty innings, probably. Yeah, that's um, probably true. Um, so okay, so he had so we had the lowest FIP, and that's a good thing to do, which means we know we, he was striking out the uh, the batters he was facing. He wasn't walking them. He really wasn't walking them. I, yeah. I, I think in particular, he had a what a, a rate like two percent or something like this. Uh, even lower than that, it even was one point seven. One point seven. All right. Yeah. Um, which is nothing like two percent. You're right. That's right. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> and uh, and he wasn't allowing a lot of home runs. Those are all great things. Um, yep. Of course, that was against uh, what A level batters, A A high A. M- mostly low A. Mostly there was low also, A. He also made three starts in in advanced rookie ball. Okay, right, right, okay, right. <laughs> Mostly low A in rookie of all, and he's a 23-year-old. And so, yep. and now, the aging curve, we should say, the aging curve for pitchers is a little bit different than, than batters. Um, um, it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not quite this, like, nice, even distribution. Right. Um, but the concerns, so, so those are, those are his numbers. We know he did that. What are the concerns, uh, generally, or not necessarily concerns, but what is it just that, what is the thing that made him a 14th round draft pick? What is the thing, uh, you know, the, the reason why scouts are not particularly excited about him? Well, you know, I mean, you know, comes down to the the fastball velocity is is you know a big thing. I mean, he's you know, it's not like he has no velocity. He's you know, he's eighty eight to ninety one, um, but you know, he, he he's not going to really throw the ball by anybody. Uh, he's he doesn't have much more projection. He's you know, he's fairly uh, particularly age twenty three. You know, he's a fairly well built guy he doesn't really stand to, to gain a whole lot of velocity um and you know both of his off-speed pitches are, are decent but neither one of them really is the sort of thing that you're tempted to sort of hang a plus grade on and so you know you've got a guy who has slightly below average velocity uh you know just a, a decent physical presence and then two pretty solid but but nondescript off-speed pitches and so uh, now I, I don't know exactly what his college career was like, but uh, but that's you know that's not the most exciting profile to people. Now, what do we know about, or it, 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 if we don't necessarily know anything, what what uh, I invite you to speculate wildly. Um, <laughs> there must be some. There's clearly you know you can see it in the major leagues. There's a there's an interactive quality between different pitches, right? Yeah. So you, you know if a guy has a, a plus pitch, that's great. I assume if a guy has Two plus pitches. It's not just. It's not. There's something that's better about that than just like one pl- plus pitch mm-hmm. plus another plus pitch because now batters have to deal with those two pitches interacting, right? Right. I imagine having a deep repertoire, um, even if you don't feature anything excellent, if you have four average pitches, there must be some benefit to that, right? Then. Um, than like having three average pitches, for example, or two average pitches. 
Well, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's all about that, that patterning. And that's something I talk about with, with respect to Buccifero. Cause the, you know, the first thing you have to kind of do is explain, uh, how he succeeded. Uh, you know, which, you know, I don't, I don't care if you're 23, you know, it's still, you, you put up these kind of numbers, you, you have to be doing something right. And, you know, one thing that, that he does a lot of is, is sequence things and, and really keep batters off balance, both in terms of pitch types and, and pitch locations. And so, um, you know, having that, that savvy for changing gears, but still having all of them, you know, be, yeah, things that, that are, that are somewhat effective. Uh, on their own, you know, that can really, that can really make everything play up when you always have to worry that something reasonably effective is coming at you, but you have no idea what it is or where it's going. Right. And that's a good thing to have at the major league level, obviously. Um, but, and so, but there's obviously something, there's, I I guess it could, I mean, you know, arm speed could be the number one thing, right? I mean, you sort of mentioned why scouts aren't excited about it. I assume arm speed is somewhere in there. And the fact that, that arm speed also prevents him from putting, from getting very sharp break on either of his breaking balls, et cetera. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's more of sort of a rolling kind of slider. It's, it's a solid slider. It's in the low eighties. And then, you know, the changeup is, is fine. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's just not generating that, that big time kind of, kind of velocity. Uh, now, one thing he does do, and, and, and this does play into the, the homer prevention part of FIP, is that he does throw both a four-seamer and a two-seamer. And so, uh, you know, the two-seamer has some, some nice life on it. And, you know, if you're going to throw 88 to 91, it's, it's good to have some nice life on, on your fastball at times. And, uh, if we, if we run over to stat corner, we can see that he had a 51% ground ball rate, uh, this, this past year. So, you know that that homer rate can can be so, so misleading, particularly if you pitch in a pitcher's park like he did. But at least you know that that does provide some additional backing. That not only does he you know not walk anybody and, and get some strikeouts, but you know this homer prevention aspect of things in in terms of keeping the ball on the ground, uh, you know, is is a somewhat legitimate skill for him. Right now, and now you went uh, searching for some uh, some pitchers. Uh, from recent history, who uh, matched some of the same criteria as, yeah. as Butchafero, uh, and uh, you, you don't necessarily have to recite them uh, exactly, but you were basically looking for what older pitchers in lower levels, twenty-three-year-olds uh, in low A who had walk rates below five point five percent, which is basically a standard deviation better than than average. So basically, guys who had you know who had good control. But we're 23 in, in low A. Yes, and it's an interesting, it's a curious list. It's uh, it's um, it's not overwhelming. <laughs> um, no, there are pitchers though on this list um, that made it to the majors. Yep. Um, and some of them have pitched decently. I mean, AJ Griffin is on that. Yep. Uh, he was an important part, I think, of a of a playoff team this year. Yeah. Uh, Corey Lukey. Uh, Corey Lukey has done has done some good things and. Uh, you know, he's a pitcher who, who uh, always had, uh, I think, pretty good minor league numbers, um, but uh, you know, his sort of reputation lagged lagged behind. Uh, and then uh, you have Josh Gear as well, <laughs> you know, and uh, and pitchers of that ilk. Uh, Corey Wade is another one whose name I recognize, and, and you know, and of course, famously is Dirk Hayhurst, fa- famously a non-prospect. Yeah. Um, 
uh, is self, self-proclaimed. Hop. Right, yeah. Bur- and Badenhop, of course, has become a, a, a relief pitcher, which is maybe another Brian avenue. Brian Wensing is another one, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's a few of them who have, you know, there, there were, I think, about like 12 of them who have been above replacement level out of about 90. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there are a few. And then there's there's also a few guys like Phil Irwin and, uh, you know, Edouard Cabrera and people like that who uh, – you know, who are still yeah. who are still kind of in that prospect category where you're you're not quite sure you know where they where they're going to end up. So it could end up slightly better than that. Right. Uh, now, did did that did that uh, find those guys? Did it tell you anything you didn't know? Um, as far as you know, or expectations? I mean, I guess it put some some faces to this sort of to what we think of as like an archetype, right? The the older picture yeah. in low A, but it put some real faces to it. Did it teach you anything you didn't know? Well, one thing that that um, well, one thing that that I sort of expected, but was still a, a finding, was that you know the strikeout rate of these guys was more predictive of sort of their future success than their than their walk rate, which kind of makes sense because it's like once you're in that sort of plus control kind of uh, kind of boat, I mean whether you have plus control or plus plus control isn't really the big factor in determining whether you make it. It's you know the stuff and, and the ability to miss bats, and so. Uh, you know, which is, which is good news for Buccaferro, who obviously had, you know, a, a much better than average strikeout rate for guys, uh, of, of this sort. Um, the, the other thing that I found that was, that was notable, and, and I guess I, I expected this, but it, it wasn't something I expected to be as pronounced maybe as it was, was that, you know, what really, you know, you, you talked uh, earlier about the age curve, and, you know, one thing that really is, so, something of a determinant of of how these guys end up faring, whether they become you know major league or just an organizational player, just they never even really even get to double A, which uh, some of them don't, uh, is sort of what their immediate promotion schedule is. So guys, for example, who put up these numbers at age twenty three in low A, but then end the season, you know, end their age twenty three season in high A, fare better than those who who uh, end their age twenty three season still in low A. Um, you know, and, and same thing with like starting their age 24 season, uh, in, in high A versus low A or in double A versus high A. So sort of that immediate, like that next year, how far a prospect with this, uh, with, you know, in, with this profile can advance in like the next 12 months seems to, to make a, a fairly big effect on what camp they fall into, whether it's major league or organizational player or just, really never much of a prospect at all. Right, and that would seem to suggest uh, uh, that their organizations uh, are sort of learning about them perhaps along with the rest of us. Yeah, I mean I I would say you know you you can you can argue whether it's that oh the the organization is is recognizing the legitimate ones in this group versus the the non-legitimate ones and promoting them accordingly or you could just say well you know, if an organization is just burying a guy in a ball at 24, then regardless of his actual talent, it's going to be really tough for him to get himself noticed after that. Uh, it's you know, it's probably some of both. So, uh, if if uh, if pressed uh, to uh, again uh, to speculate wildly, uh, in this case with regard to to Buccaferro, uh, from what you found, and also from what you've seen of him, what do you sort of view as like? Uh, you know the, his his possible window. You know, like maybe his uh, in terms of like the results, like his twenty five twenty fifth percentile versus his seventy fifth percentile. Well, you know, uh, him having three average pitches and and 
and a really good feel for patterning, like I said, which which I have a bunch of gifts in the article of like, you know, him putting different pitches in different spots and him claiming the inside to left handers and stuff like that. You know, I think I think he's got a shot at being a back of the rotation starter. Uh, you know, if, if he can put that together and if he can prove in, in the next year that, you know, he can still miss a reasonable amount of bats when, you know, he hits like double A or whatever. Uh, you know, I think that the 25th percentile is, is that, you know, he, he ends up declining a fair amount in, in, in Winston-Salem this coming year. And then, you know, even more so whenever he hits double A and really never, never makes it much past that. A, a guy with his skill set really has, has very little, um, upside from moving to the bullpen. So it's pretty much, you know, he either becomes a major league fourth or fifth starter or he's just not going to become much of, of anything. He's just going to become sort of an organizational innings eater. That's uh, because you don't, you don't necessarily say like, I mean, a guy who, who might work going to the bullpen is because he does have a plus pitch and maybe the problem is that, uh, he does, you know, he's not as efficient, et cetera. Yeah, you know, the arsenal depth or struggling against opposite side hitters or, or you know, some, something like that, that, that you, you feel like you can minimize its, its problematic nature with, when you put a guy in short stints, you know, or stamina issues, things like that. But a guy with three average pitches and, and, you know, putting the ball in the zone against both lefties and righties and all of that, I mean, there's, there's really, what's he going to throw 90 to 92 out of the bullpen? I mean, like what, you know, what's that really going to do? Uh, it, it's really not not the sort of profile that you see playing up as as a reliever very much. Right. Yeah. And actually, I just uh, uh, was this. Um, I don't know if it was Monday or maybe the very end of last week. Uh, Jeff Sullivan wrote wrote a piece on um, on the uh, bullpen uh, relief pitchers and the the way that uh, velocity has um, actually increased uh, sort of dramatically and 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 suddenly and even in recent years, there are more and more guys throwing uh, 95 plus. Uh, than ever before, and uh, yeah, yeah, Butchaferro was uh, not to be mistaken for that sort of pitcher. <laughs> no, right? no, he's not. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So we're thinking uh, in terms of upside, uh, uh, Griffin and Lubke is 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 the sort of thing, and then, uh, well, downside is never to pitch in the major leagues, right? I mean, a certain right, ne- never to come very close to the major leagues, you know. But uh, again, Tony Butchaferro's statistics, you know, are are even better than just about anyone's in that sample, which is interesting. So he's, he's even a rather extreme case among, among those, those comparables. So it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting to see, you know, number one, what the White Sox decide to do with him this coming year, you know, how aggressive are they going to be with him? Um, and then, you know, number two, how he responds to that challenge. Right. I guess, um, apart from all that, an interesting guy to follow for no other reason than he, he is a, such an outlier in terms of, the numbers he posted last year. It's yeah. curious to see what happens when you apply that. I mean, this is one of the reasons that I, uh, I, for example, am uh, very interested in uh, Mike O'Neill, the outfield. Yes, he just got protected yesterday. Well, good for him. He deserves. He needs protection. He's so small. You know, he, he can't defend himself. <laughs> um, well, yeah, but you could see a team if, if he's not added to the forty man. You could imagine a, a team saying, like, "Well, I mean, sure, let's see." Oh, well, yeah. Let's see what he does, right? He, yeah, he, and they, they, that's absolutely. I mean, if if you're the Astros and you're not taking a hard look at him at the top of that Rule Five, if if he wasn't protected, I mean, you're you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, and 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 again, like you know, these guys are interesting. He, he, I mean, he has like a you know three to one walk to strikeout ratio as a batter, yeah. and he has no. I mean, it, and that's not from you know we figure like 
walk walk rate is is largely a function. It's largely a combination, right? Of um, you know discipline, right? So o, essentially, O swing rate you know, using that as a proxy. And then on the other hand, um, the degree to which pitchers are willing to throw you strikes. Right. Right. And pitchers, with, with, with some contact ability thrown in there, because when you make contact, you put the ball in play and then the at bat. So if you're going to swing and miss more, then that also is going to lengthen at bats more. Lengthen at bats, right, right. But the point is that O'Neill um, does not have any. Pitchers are not avoiding the middle of the strike zone against O'Neill necessarily. Right. They're not right. afraid to come in. So he he's really earning his walks, however he's doing it. Yeah, another one of those guys is uh, Billy Burns. You know, hey, you, you're ta- you're preaching to the choir if you want to talk about Billy Burns. Because uh, I mean, there, there's somebody who not only has no power, but also, uh, you know, if you walk him, you're you're really putting yourself in trouble as a pitcher because he's going to steal second. And so, you know, there's not only n- not an impetus to not throw him strikes, there there's an impetus to definitely throw him strikes. Right. Yeah, and it, we should be mentioned we're talking about. Uh, Mike O'Neill was the Cardinals outfield prospect. Billy Burns is in the national system. Yep. Um, and actually, I uh, this week I just did uh, uh, I did a, a leaderboard. Like if you were to apply the linear weight values for uh, stolen bases and caught stealing to minor leaguers, um, yeah. Billy Burns uh, actually comes out as the the best base runner. Number in, one. Yeah, in minor I, leagues. I yeah. saw that. Yeah. So, I, I was I was uh, I was pretty interested in that list. Actually, there was some there was some. Pretty interesting guys. I saw probably about half the guys on that. Oh yeah, that's right. You mentioned what was it, Terrence Gore? Terrence Gore. Oh my god. Well, tell me just to to, because I want to talk about Austin Bryce briefly. But tell me, give us uh, thirty seconds on Terrence Gore. Terrence Gore organization, age, and all that junk first. Uh, Royals outfield prospect. Let's see, how old is he? Don't don't look up. It's fine. Just what do you think? Um, Shoot from the gut here. Shoot from the gut. (laughs) How old is he? he, he, Well, okay. Well, according to Fangrass, he's 22. Okay. Um, but, uh, but he's, he looks like he's about 10. Cause he, cause he's about five foot six. Like, and, and basically he's this tiny guy, but he has the longest strides on a five, six guy that you'll ever see. And he just flies. Like, you know, I've seen Billy Burns. I saw, you know, Micah Johnson play a ton this year. A lot of guys who steal a lot. Jesus Galindo, another guy who was on your list. Um, but Terrence Gore, I timed him at three point, I think five four seconds home to first from the right side on a bunt. Oh wow! Okay, uh, yeah, you know, it, and, and he, we should clarify. We should clarify, like generally for for right-handed batter, um, I think like four four point oh, 3.9 or four point is generally considered eighty speed, isn't that right? Yeah, and then it goes uh, up by tenths of a second. Now, now, granted. Uh, you know, on a bunt, guys tend to get out of the box faster. So, um, you know, 3.54 on a bunt, you know, might might equate to something like 3.7 or 3.8 on on an actual just typical batted ball. But it's still just otherworldly speed. I mean, it's just right. he he looks like he's running in 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 fast forward. You know, compared to to what everyone else is doing on a baseball field. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well. So all right. So so uh, so you told us about Terrence Gore. You're excited about Terrence Gore. Very fast. He, he, I don't know if he's ever going to play in the majors because he's another guy that just has no power. But my goodness, if if he's playing on a field near you, go watch him. He's worth the price of admission. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it, what if you get in for free? Is he still? I mean, I guess he's worth he's worth free. He's worth free. He's yes, worth free. Yes. Okay, okay, very good. Uh, uh, all right. So that was 
That was the Chicago White Sox. That was Tony Bucciferro. And it, well, it's not just Tony Bucciferro, I guess, is the point. It's this type of pitcher. Is, yeah. is the sort of, is the interesting thing. You, you isolated a type of pitcher. You found like, you found what, 20 guys who'd made the major leagues. Uh, there were a bunch of other guys who didn't make the major leagues. I think what, like, just like 10 or 15% ended up at something above replacement level of all of yeah. these guys. And actually, I, I should know it. Do, do you happen to know offhand what, what, uh, like just for a typical prospect, what, what the rating ought to be? Like a top 100 guy? Or do we know the graduation rates for that? I don't know if we know the, I, I don't know offhand. I, I know I was talking to people when I was writing that piece about like if anyone had an idea of, um, like just the overall graduation rate for prospects. And I think, I think Sussman's doing something on that. Oh um, yeah, that's, that's also true. Yeah. And th- so, I think he'll be doing that with regards to the Diamondbacks. I think also Victor yeah. Wang's work, or maybe it was something based off of Victor Wang's work from a couple of years ago, had some graduation, uh, graduation rate numbers. So that, you know, something to investigate in the future. You, you know, I think you, yeah. you know, you did, you did, you were 4,100 words in. So I think it's okay. You didn't necessarily <laughs> nail that down. Um, now Austin Bryce, um, yeah, I suppose he's interesting in and of himself. He's also sort of interesting um, in relief against Tony Bucciferro, insofar as yeah. right, insofar as Bucciferro is is a pitcher about whom we say um, he can always throw a strike, basically, right? Yeah. Um, and he doesn't really get deep. And Bryce, uh, I'll, I'll summarize what I took away briefly, and then you you you. Uh, Say what needs to be said, I guess, after that. Bryce is a guy who has more stuff, probably, in the way of arm speed. Um, and he has what you consider a repeatable and uh, pretty efficient delivery. And yet, for some reason, um, has posted giant walk rates, like in the fives and sixes. And it seems to be due to the fact that for whatever reason, despite his soundness, relatively sound mechanics, just isn't able to repeat his his uh, release point. Yeah, uh, it really is. You know, like you said, I mean, Austin Bryce is a guy that, uh, you know, it's 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 one of these things where you never quite know what you're getting with him when 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 that delivery is in sync and he and he's doing what he wants to do. Uh, you know, you've got a, you've got him at, at 90 to 95 or, or 89 to 94, you know, averaging, you know, around 92 on the fastball, touching into the mid 90s, uh, and then also throwing uh, an above average curveball that flashes plus, uh, that, that he'll throw from about 75 to 80. And, uh, you know, they're, they're both pretty di- dynamite pitches when, when he's got them working, and, he, and he's also got a changeup that's, that's playable, but not very good. Um, you know, but, even though he's a guy who's six four two oh five kind of classic pitcher's body clean arm action uh fairly low effort delivery uses the lower half pretty well there's just some some what what pretty much are, are fairly minor sink issues but uh just given the total package of of how his delivery works and i guess just sort of his natural athleticism or lack thereof or you know it, it's it's sort of difficult to pinpoint you know what the the exact root of it is uh he he gets out of sync with with regards to where his arm is uh compared to where his lower half is and so uh what happens is if his arm's dragging behind his lower half then the ball is going to sail uh you know up and in, into his arm side and and if his arm gets out in front of where his lower body is then he's going to pull the ball uh back to his glove side and and, and miss that way and so uh you know 
with 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 that going on, he really uh, can get out of sync and and start to just walk a, a, a ton of guys. And he, you know, unlike Butchafero, who who led the the South Atlantic League in walk rate this year, Austin Bryce was the worst starting pitcher in the South Atlantic League in terms of walk rate this year. Um, so yeah. And so normally, when you're seeing high walk rates, obviously guys are you know they're trying to throw the ball one place, it's going to a different one. Um, right. But you're saying that the, the sort of curious thing about Bryce is that he he is getting out of sync, but he sort of has a, a motion that suggests he shouldn't be. Right. You know, it, it's certainly not to the extent that he is. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's twenty one year old pitcher, twenty one year old pitchers. I mean, Tony Bucciaferro, you can find you can find footage of Tony Bucciaferro mi- missing his release point. I mean, you know, guys. At that level, are not going to be Cliff Lee. They're not going to be these these perfect, you know, pitching machine kind of mechanics. Uh, but but you know, you expect the guys who who kind of have this this crazy walk profile to be you know your Carlos Marmol types and you know guys who who are throwing you know these from these crazy high effort you know kind of kind of things or or they're people who who just really have a lot of moving parts or you know you think of really tall guys who who don't keep things coordinated uh but but in the case of of Austin Bryce I mean he's just not somebody that you know yes when you break it down in into you know it, its component parts you can you can sort of string it together why he's not repeating it but it's in general just there's so many boxes you know mechanical boxes that get checked does he have a clean arm action yes you know does he use his lower half yes you know is there uh is it a fairly low effort motion and the ball jumps out of his hand yes you know all these sort of basics of it check out pretty well and so uh you know for somebody like that to have a higher walk rate than a lot of you know these wild you know some a, a lot of the time like the the wild latin american arms that come up or uh you know some of the high school guys that get rushed um you know, up up to low A in their first full year, and and just don't have that same sort of polish. Uh, to to see somebody like Austin Bryce, who is repeating low A, mind you, you know, have have these sort of difficulties, uh, is a little counterintuitive. Right. And now this led you to ask some some questions uh, about uh, pitch release and what we what we might be able to ascertain about pitch release uh, from from pitch FX and and how yeah. it, how it relates to to major leaguers. Yeah. So, you, I mean, I, you're agreeing with me. Yes, did, yes, did, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that is that is research I engaged in. It's and a, and that has been an edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. For, no, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> is uh, so you you did found you did find maybe not the strongest correlations in all of history, but you found some points where you can maybe begin to say there's some relationship between. Between um, uh, release points at the major league level and what? Well, and uh, you know, it's it's tough to pinpoint what exactly is is the best, you know, because I, I, I was looking for things that basically uh, sort of reflect control or command, uh, you know, whatever you want to say in some way. So uh, I was looking at things like strike percentage. Uh, Zone percentage and uh, walk rate, you know, are, are three things that sort of jump out. Is you know, obviously that that you you can be a guy who who's in the zone a lot but not have great command, and you can be a guy if there's a lot of strikes without great command, and you can and and whatever. Uh, but you know, they're generally decent proxies for for what we're talking about here. 
And so I was looking at basically the consistency of a guy's fastball release point um, with some of these different variables. And in in general, uh, you know, whether whether you were looking at uh, the strike rate or the the zone percentage or uh, the walk rate or, you know, there was even a slight correlation with the strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, you know, there, there was, uh, some, some tendency for, for those two things to, to group together. And if you look at sort of who the top guys were and, and who the bottom guys were, I mean, Cliff Lee had the second most consistent fastball release point. And then if you looked at the least consistent ones, it was the Edinson Volquezes and Ubaldo Jimenezes and, and guys like that who, you know, it, there, there's some reflection of, of our intuition there. Right. Now, it's, it's interesting because you do hear discussion of release point um with regard to a larger discussions about um prospects you know um his his likelihood of of demonstrating control or command at the major league level i i guess it's it's curious to me that uh, cuz i hadn't really seen it uh, probed uh, i hadn't seen it in, um explored in in any depth actually it occurred to me before he did that and i guess a it's nice that that the data I guess confirmed some of our suspicions. Um, it also, I guess, it would have been shocking if it hadn't. But uh, you ha- someone has to check, and you, yeah. you were the one who did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, understanding exactly what the uh, relationship is, you know, because you, you know, is it, it, you know, if you want to get really nerdy and start talking about R squareds, you know, uh, you know, is it is it a point six R square? Are they like, you know, totally the same thing? Or, uh, you know, is, is it a very weak correlation or, or something in between? Because, you know, there's obviously a lot of other variables that go into, you know, the a pitcher's walk rate or strike percentage or, or whatever, you know, how good his stuff is and, and how it induces, uh, you know, swings from batters, you know, which are automatic strikes and, uh, you know, all, all sorts of different patterning variables and how where exactly the, the pitch is aiming for. Like, you know, uh, Jeff Sullivan, I know, does some anecdotal stuff on this in, in terms of, like, you know, comparing where the catcher sets up in, in certain pitches versus where the pitch is. And, you know, that that would sort of be the best measure, I think, of, of command is sort of how how consistent a pitcher is at hitting the target. Um, but, you know, we, we don't really have that kind of data. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's tough to do. And of course, uh, the target is not always the target, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the catcher's glove is not always. Yeah. Uh, when the pitcher's throwing, is not always the tar- actual target. Um, yeah. Sometimes the catcher communicates, "Well, throw it to my uh, left knee or whatever," you know, yeah. and uh, the catcher, uh, you know, meets it over there. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's uh, it's it's difficult. But I guess what do you do? You say, "Let's ask a question and see if something comes out." And it seemed like the idea is that uh, there's something there. It's not huge, but there's something. And it, it, um, all things being equal, probably better to have the capacity for a prospect to have the capacity to repeat his release point than not repeat it. Oh yeah, I, w- I would say that that's that's absolutely the case because uh, you know, and, and one thing that there, that'll be interesting to to do with something like that is um, you know to to maybe look now that we have you know AFL pitch FX and spring training pitch FX and stuff like that is, you know, to see where prospects compare to major leaguers in that sense. Like, are prospects generally worse than major leaguers uh, in terms of release point repetition? Or, you know, are they generally sort of splattered across the same spectrum? And so, you know, it, it is learning to throw strikes in the major leagues sort of this this function of, you know, oh, you know, prospects start out, you know, on average with, 
you know, three tenths of an inch variance in, in release point consistency. And then, you know, they have to get it down to like 0.23 or so, you know, something like that. Or, or are prospects sort of already repeating their deliveries as kind of, kind of as well as they're ever going to? Um, there's, I think, a lot of further research that, that we can do that'll, that'll better shed light on, on exactly what is behind that, the, the sort of concoction of, of walk rates and strike rates and things like that. Now, is, is Bryce the sort of pitcher who would be appearing in a, a big league camp next year, or this, this coming spring, I should say? God, that's a good question. Um, that, I mean, that's, I'm literally paid to ask questions like that. <laughs> that's that's one of the few skills, yeah. There, there, yeah. there it is. That and uh, and writing about uh, whatever the heck you write about on knock graphs. Yeah, no one. Knows, um, really. yeah. <laughs> which always uh, ne- never fails to entertain. Um, but um, you know, it, would he be in big league camp? Um, well, you know, he's not on the forty yet because um, he he's not. He was drafted I think, in '09, so he. He wouldn't be uh, eligible until next year for the forty. Um, so I, you know, maybe for like an inning or two. But it, as far as uh, you know, getting pitch FX, you know, the Marlins are in the Florida uh, side of things, oh, so yeah, I think right. they have pitch FX over there. Yeah, that's uh, true. Oh, you've already, yeah. Hmm. Disappointing that. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to do something else. It sounds like. So someone should just like manually install a sport vision camera for, <laughs> for, you know, high A Marlins, uh, minor league <laughs> spring training. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if we're inspecting a list of priorities, that's going to be at the top, I'm sure. That's, that's, that's going to be it. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think we've done it. I think we've done it, uh, Nathaniel Stoltz. All right. How do you feel about it? You feel like it was, uh, satisfactory? I feel like this is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to go buy some polenta now. Have you ever done any cooking with polenta? I have not. Yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't either, but I'm going to tonight, it looks like. And 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 they have it in France, huh? They do. I think, I think yeah. I'm pretty sure polenta is available here. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, they, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I guess I'm excited about it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. So, well. I guess I just need spinach. Spin- just spinach. We could do spinach and, and uh, eggs and polenta. With uh, uh, poached eggs. Nice, nice. What do you do for dinner? What do I do for dinner? Well, when I'm when I'm not engaging in the traditional scouting meals of fast food, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in general, I actually go out to eat a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, you know, the the, the typical uh, grad school meals of you know the pastas and the pizzas and the. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. The pretty basic uh, bachelor cooking menu. Do you do a lot of work with uh, carbohydrates? Would you say? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I would say <laughs> I would say that's a fairly uh, apt description. Yeah. Yeah. Although I've seen uh, from what images I think I think you're pretty uh, slim. Isn't that right? I try. Yeah. Is that is that just natural? Do you think the genetic result of genetics? Uh. <laughs> I, well, I I I guess you know partially yes and. Uh, Partially, I try to stay in somewhat decent shape. Do you, do, uh, you work out? No. I occasionally, you know, jog, but that's about it. Yeah, right. All right. Well, let's we'll stop this. You stick around for a second, but uh, in the meantime, we'll say uh, I'll say thank you, Nathaniel Stoltz, for helping us uh, digest. Uh, you know, it's circa seven thousand, eight thousand words of material. 
Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to do it. All right. That's uh, Nathaniel Stotes, prospect writer for Fangraphs, Rotographs, uh, occasionally bullpen banter, I think. Yep, yep. It appeared in the pages of Athletics Nation, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. I have. I have. All, all that's true. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.